0: We're doing a new series today, and the video that worked before is not working now. We are replacing the computer, and that might help. So this is the hard time letters, the uh, epistles of Paul we're going to peel apart. And you'll see a slide at the end that has all of that that we missed on the video. There was cool sound and everything. Just imagine how great it was. (laughs) so this is the plan right here you can see it behind me we've got the introduction that is today it's kind of an overview not necessarily of the books but more of how we get to this and and then what we're going to do and then we've got about 14 to 15 messages which means i'm not finished buttoning all of those up me on purpose from ephesians motivated from philippians just right, from Colossians, and then one message out of Philemon. Those are the letters we'll be going through. I want to show you uh, some Greek up behind me. You get to learn some Greek this morning. You see the word there, the way you say it? Uh, it's just transliterated. It's almost the same. Epistole. And the epistle is English, and it means letter. Typically, the epistles came with authority and spiritual purpose. That's the way we understand them. Here's some questions. You'll see a bunch of them appear up behind me, and I'll give you the answers. The first question, how many books are in the Bible? Do you know? 66. Let me show you this symbol. You were right. Philip 66. Recently, a preacher I heard said that that was named after the 66 books in the Bible. However, through more thorough research, I learned it was not. It actually wasn't. It was named after multiple other things, um, there was the, um, basically the, the weight of natural gas uh, I don't remember the specific of what the 66 refers to is close to that uh, there is a, a particular gravity of natural gas that's also close to that and then there's, it's on Route 66 is where they started, so that's where those came from, and hey it, it matches with the books of the Bible, so if you need to remember the number of the books of the Bible maybe this little tidbit of information will help you remember the answer is 66 as many of you said how many books are in the new testament do you know it's an interesting thing that when phillips petroleum actually started in 1917 i think it was they had 27 employees isn't that interesting how many are epistles now that's a number we don't typically just know does anybody know okay you see the answer up behind me 21 that's a bunch how many are from paul 13 is correct whoever said that and how many are prison epistles you should know this now four because we just listed four up behind me those are the prison epistles now here's another question who wrote the most words in the new testament don't answer i'll give you the answer it's luke if you count the words that he wrote in his two books luke you'll see that, and Acts. He wrote more words than Paul. Isn't that something? Luke is the one who set out to purposely write down the details, and boy does he. In fact, if you want to get a real good snapshot of how detail-oriented Luke is, I'm going to tell you a story and leave out a bunch of details, and if you go back to it, you're going to be shocked. And it's pretty cool how God does this, because Not that we need to have science or any brand of science, any brand of archaeology, anything that needs to support this, but it all does. I mean, this is God's Word. We don't have to have man agreeing with it. This is God's Word. This is it. You don't need all that other stuff. We got it. But Luke is one of those that gave us the ammunition because what he did is he gave so many details, not yet has anyone been able to disprove any of Luke's details or any of the others in the Bible through any type of scientific method. Wow, that's impressive. So I would encourage you, if you're, if you're a little bit intrigued by that idea that the details in today's message, they are, as time goes on, I'm convinced the more we discover, the more we'll discover that the details are spot on. Why else would God inspire someone like Luke, a doctor who's very, very into details, put in so many details so that God's word can be validated? So if you're fascinated and you don't even want to make it home before you start reading it, you can on the way home, you can get on YouTube, you can type in, it's very easy now with all these smartphones and stuff, hook it up to your car, do it before you start, you can type in Acts 27 and 28 and, and put in the word audio and you'll, it'll take you right to a YouTube and somebody will read it to you while you're driving home and you will hear the details. Okay, we'll get through this, I will shorten it a little bit since we had a delayed start today due to computer issues, but I do want to take you to some of Luke's specifics I want to go to Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 21, verse 28. <clears throat> and I'm going to start right in the mid-sentence, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. This is criticism against Paul. How dare he? Look at this. Look at this. He goes a little bit more details here. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, and that'll be the first book we look at, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul brought him into the temple. So how dare he bring in a Greek, a non-Jew, and a Greek even, into the temple? How dare he even eat with such a person or be seen with such a person? That's that's very intriguing because if you remember, when Paul started, he was an attacker and killer of Christians. You go into Acts chapter 7 and you see he was standing there giving the approval of the killing of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. That's Paul. Paul did not like anyone who disagreed with his Jewish faith. And here he was mingling with someone outside of his Jewish faith. And now he's being criticized for it. It's worse than that. Paul longs, he's, he's, he's longed to be in Rome, but he's going to go in a way that he had not anticipated. Maybe you're like that too. You have these hopes and maybe even have, you wrap them in prayers and you want this thing to happen and you're going to get, that thing is going to happen. God's going to answer your prayer, but it may not happen the way you thought. This happens to Paul. So there's a lot of things that happen, and uh, from that verse I just read you, all the way to where we're going to go. And there's a, there's a lot of details. And what happens is Paul gets bounced around because they're trying to, they, they want him killed is what they want. The Jews want him killed just like they wanted Jesus killed. we got to take him out because he keeps convincing people that this Jesus rose from the dead. So they want to take him out. So he keeps getting bounced around from different authority figures. The Jews have no right to put people to death. That's one of the things that Rome has said, no, you don't get to do that. You could do other court hearings, but you cannot put someone to death. So Paul keeps getting bounced around. They keep wanting to ratchet it up and they can't seem to find that he's done anything that merits the death penalty. So then we land all the way in Acts 27. Like I said, I've left out a lot of details. I'm going to leave out some more. But I'll give you some. And then the centurion that's put in charge of Paul and other prisoners, he acquires access to a ship. And it's different than it is today. Today it's a whole lot more difficult. Maybe you saw in the news where a cruise ship got sent back to Seattle because somebody had covid on the ship and so they all had to come back when you hate to be that one person you didn't plan on getting covid and making everybody come back but they did it's different now to get on a ship if you've been on a cruise ship it takes a lot to get on the cruise ship back then you just had to make negotiations with the right people the owner of the ship you could get permission to move about and so he gets permission to be on this ship and he sails for rome now, that's, that little short thing, sails for Rome, there's, it's bigger than those three words. Uh, they don't go directly, and I'll show you a, a map in a little bit, not right now. As they head out, storms are happening. And these storms are going to go on for some time. It's a crazy thing. I want to paint the picture for you that happens in chapter 27. So, uh, they go around, they, they go from port to port, they get on different ships, but the storms get worse and worse. They even have to shore up the ship. They have to stabilize it because it's, it's beginning to show signs of breaking apart. It's a very, very difficult time. And, and Paul, as they were at one port, it, they, were, they were thinking, you know, this is not a great place to be for the winter, like you might think if you decided to do an Alaskan cruise You might want to make sure you get back before winter. This might not be the best place to port for winter. So they were thinking, "Ah, we don't want to do that. And Paul said to them, hey, hey, uh, fellas, he's telling the sailors this, "the, the people that should know better, I perceive there is going to be a lot of loss, both to the ship and injuries to us and the cargo. And they chose to listen to the owner of the ship, who makes more money if they just get moving and get the people delivered, and the stuff delivered, and the pilot of the ship. They chose to listen instead of to Paul. He's just a prisoner. I want you to think about Paul as a prisoner. He is... From the time that he began to be in prison, and he's been in prison several times up until this point, just short-term prison lengths. But as he is jailed, think about his attitude. Because we oftentimes are not like that. When we have difficult things going on, we are quick to, to say... Poor me. We don't say it like that. We just do it other ways. But Paul, when he had someone, sometimes he was shackled to a prisoner. How would you like that? How would you like to go to the restroom, shackled to somebody else? But Paul saw it differently than we might. Try to wrap your head around his attitude, because he exemplified a very good attitude. He, when he was chained to a, a, either other prisoners or even guards, he would say, I have a captive audience. Yes! (laughs) you got to listen to the gospel. That's the way Paul thought. Paul is on this ship, and they don't listen to him. He's just a prisoner. And so they go ahead, and they set out. And they do a bunch of different things to try to keep it together, but the reality is, as they are sailing, they can't can't face the wind like they would like. And they just have to ride it out. On the third day, the the crew, with their own hands, throws over all their tools. That, that's a bleak picture. I mean, the ship is already showing signs of failure. And just to reduce some weight, they're throwing over their tools. That's scary. And as they continue, and it, and it just feels like it's going to get worse and worse, finally, and, they, they, and by the way, they haven't been eating either. The sailors finally—they're—they're—they're they're, they're panicking. But Paul has a vision, and he says, "Hey, hey, hey, hey! It's been 14 nights, by the way. You should have listened to me. In other words, I told you so. I told you. You know how would you like to hear that when about the ship's about to go down? Now you really want to take this guy out." Uh, I told you, if you would just listened to me, we wouldn't be having these injuries. Obviously, there's injuries and loss. But an angel appeared to me in a dream and told me that not one person is going to die. We're only going to lose stuff and the ship. But we've got to run aground on some island. And it actually reads that way. And when you read it in Scripture, you read it and he's like, we've got to run aground on some island. Immediately our mind goes to this place, what island? That's what we focus on. You should pay attention to the other part. When he said, but we have to run aground. The some island part, it's not as significant. So they're going along and it gets bad. So bad that finally these The sailors decide they're going to sneak they're going to abandon the ship they're going to get off in the boat and Paul says don't do that we're not going to everybody's not going to survive if you do that and they believed him they cut the ropes and let the boat go which means if you know we could have escaped but we're going to trust what he's saying because he was right about the the bad storms you know so we're going to go ahead and go down with everybody if it all goes down. Because he, he told me, he said, you can't do this. Remember, it, we, but we must run aground on some island. It's not about the some island thing. It's about the we must run aground the ship. We've got to crash the ship. That's how we're all going to survive. So they do. They crash the ship. And as they crash the ship, everybody you know they have to jump off and everything's thrown oh and by the way he also had them to eat i didn't i didn't tell you that part because he wanted them to have their strength so they could swim that sort of thing but they get on this island and as they get on this island the scripture says they were unusually treated well it almost carries with it a connotation of suspiciously But the people were just so hospitable. They actually built a fire because they knew these guys were going to get cold because it started to rain. And as they built the fire, leave it to Paul to set such a good example. He grabbed some firewood to add to it. Other people are just sitting around. So Paul is just being a servant as he did so often. And you know, he's kind of like the hero. Nobody died. I think there was 267 of them. Nobody died. Oh, and they were going to kill all the prisoners, by the way, too. All the sailors, they were going to try to kill them. Paul said, no, no. Actually, it was a centurion that saved them. But they're all there. And Paul goes to put the wood on the fire, and everybody can see Paul. When you get closer to the fire, it's like more lights on you, you know. So when you're doing that, everybody's watching. And he puts the wood on the fire. And as he goes to put the wood on the fire, a poisonous snake. Bites him in front of everybody. And the natives are thinking, oh, well, we didn't hear what his crime was, but he must be a murderer because, you know, he survived the, the crashing of the ship, but uh, the gods are going to take him out now. He's going to swell up and die. That's what they thought. He's either either going to swell up or swell up and die. They just kept waiting and watching, like, what's going to happen to this guy? And Paul just keeps on acting normal they go from so paul is a bad 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 guy he's a prisoner he's on the ship they won't listen to him you dumb prisoner you don't know what you're talking about and then he says i i told you you should listen to me now they think he knows what he's talking about and they listen to what he says they don't kill all the prisoners when it looked bleak they don't get in the boat they stayed there they ran the ship aground then he gets on the island and the natives think he must be a really bad, bad person because a snake bit him. It's going to kill him. He must be a murderer. But because it doesn't kill him and they hadn't seen that, didn't even make him sick, didn't even swell up, they thought he must be a god. <laughs> but as it turns out, he serves a great god. And, and the, the leader of the island, Publius, his dad was very sick. And they connected Paul to him and Paul prayed for him, laid his hands on him and healed him. God did this through Paul and everyone was amazed so that now they're really esteeming this Paul guy that was bad and then good and then bad and then good. Now he's really good. Now he's healing everybody on the island that's sick by the providence and sovereignty of God. Wow! That is so cool! But he's still a prisoner. Now I want to show you, um, behind me, here's a map. You can see how it all played out, the journey. See, I left out details. See, he went all over the place, and then you can see Malta up on the left-hand side there at about 9 o'clock on the photo behind me. Acts chapter 28 begins by saying, hey, once we were there, we learned this was Malta. Then from there, they were able to get on another ship, and the natives... Supplied them with all the supplies they needed and they headed to Rome. They arrived in Rome in AD 60. And shortly after arriving in Rome is when Paul is imprisoned. And this he stayed in prison from AD 60 to around AD 62. It was about two years that he was in what they call house arrest, it's not like a dungeness prison it's more of a he stays in his own place and he funds his own living and he's got a guard with him at all times so acts twenty eight sixteen is where we pick up and when he came into rome paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him verse 17 the next verse and i'll read on after three days he called together the local leaders of the jews And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And by the way, that's, that's one of those things. If you are chained when you're appearing before people, you look guilty automatically. Verse 21, And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So he's starting off on a bad foot. He looks guilty, and then he's identified himself with Christianity, and these people all know that that's being rejected all over, in their opinion. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Get this, Paul is going to go ahead and say something none of them, apparently, want to hear He's going to say something that's going to tick him off enough to say, I don't, I don't want to hear that. That's sometimes what you have to do. It's sometimes what Jesus did and Paul's going to do it. What are these words? Here they are. Starting with verse 25. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart "...has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them." That's from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus also said this, he quoted it in Matthew thirteen, fourteen to 15. In verse 28 of Acts 28, "...therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. How about that? He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He, as a prisoner, kept preaching. People came to him. He couldn't go to them. He's on house arrest for two years. And so we understand in that two-year time period, he wrote four letters. The hard time letters is what I'm calling them. You do understand that house arrest is not necessarily doing hard time. Hard time is harder than house arrest. But I call it hard time letters because we're still in the middle of a plague. And things are ramping up out there. I mean, I don't know what's happening in your school district, but many of them are now saying you're gonna all the kids are gonna have to wear masks and all that kind of stuff's happening. It's it's like, is this never going to end? What in the world? This is crazy. And then if you pay much attention to what's happening in the in our world just in general, especially in the United States, things just don't look great. I mean, you might be happy that your house value is going up, but you're going to be paying more taxes because we're spending like crazy. That, that's, why, that's why that's happening, you know. It's, it's a crazy, crazy world. I don't know how younger people are going to be able to start when we're making it so hard. I mean, we're just throwing free money around, and it's not always going to be there. So I call it hard time letters because it's inevitable that we are going to be going through hard times. Paul was going through hard times. Christianity and at this particular time in history these were hard times. We should be able to relate. It seems like every direction we go we find more and more people it's, it's always been the minority of people and now it's shifting who want to rid the planet of Christianity and there's a there's, uh, overt ways, and there's covert ways that people are doing this. But the hard time letters include, first of all, Ephesians. And we'll start with Ephesians next week. We'll get, I'll introduce Ephesians in particular, and each time we get to one of the books, we'll introduce it as we go. But Ephesians has, in the very first part of it, there's a lot of encouragement, not just to the first century Christians that would receive it in Ephesus. And by the way, Paul had been there on his first and his third missionary journey. He knows these people well. He stayed there for quite a while, teaching them. They know him. They respect him. And so he writes a letter to the Ephesians, and he encourages them in the first part, and then he gives them some guidance on their lives. And it's interesting in these epistles, in these, especially in Ephesians, there's, there's no rebuke. He's not getting on to the people. He's telling them, words of encouragement and words of motivation. We're going we're to see that. We're going to feel it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come right to us in very practical applications. You, you'll catch a little bit of that as we move today. Maybe you can sense it right now. This, this, is, this is perfect timing. The second book is Philippians. And the same thing in Philippians. Paul uses this as a book of encouragement. And motivation same thing happens in colossians encouragement and motivation he's going we're going to go through this and we're going to take paul's letters exactly as they are the inspiration of god for us and you're going to see how this works in in our homes it works it works at work it works as we just go about in the community it certainly works in the church and then we also see in Philemon the same thing encouragement and motivation but there's specifics in each one and we'll, we'll flesh all that out as we get to it but we're just getting started no that doesn't mean that I'm just now starting to preach and we're going to go on for another 30 minutes that's not what that means you can go ahead and click those other books that I talked about and then we can go we're just getting started first of all there's three points here I am not done with the message don't Don't get ready. Don't start gathering your purses and stuff. Just getting started. Life is full of ups and downs. You can see that in the life of Paul. We just started in Acts 21, but Paul started his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 13. He was struck blind in Acts chapter 9. So we could have gone much further back with his ups and downs. But what I gave you from Acts 21, and especially Acts 27 and 28... Paul had some ups and downs, and even in a very short period of time, and certainly, while he is incarcerated for two years, ups and downs. That's just life. And you, and me, we have our ups and downs. Sometimes we'll arrive here to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are so ready, we're so happy, we're so anticipating, we're we're so longing for pleasing the Lord when we come together for worship, that we just come in and we are so prepared. But then there are some times when the devil gets involved and distracts us a little bit. Sometimes uh, there's financial struggles. Sometimes there's health problems. Sometimes there's logistic problems, mechanical problems. Sometimes there's just things that haunt our minds. Sometimes we struggle just to even get out of bed because we lack motivation. There's ups and downs. Life is full of ups and downs. Second, go ahead and click that. Attitude is a game changer. I'm sure you've seen this in life, haven't you? Where difficult life, life's ups and downs, even downs, somebody in the middle of the, their difficult times has the right attitude And it changes everything. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes our attitude, it's a matter of how the the fork in the road that we choose. What's the attitude going to be? What would it have been like if Paul, when he was incarcerated for two years, and he had done nothing wrong? He's just being a solid Christian example. Converting people to Jesus, pleasing the Lord... What would have happened if Paul, as he went to this to be house arrested, and he's got to pay for it himself, he's, he's on house arrest, he's got a guard with him all the time, no privacy really. What would have happened if Paul's attitude turned into what ours might have? This is unfair. I didn't do anything wrong. I should have, I should have never been arrested. should have never been shipped here and shipped there. I should have never been put in jail should have never had chains on me for being a Christian. How right is that? That's so wrong. What would have happened if Paul focused on that? This is bad. I'm chained to an unbeliever. I'm here for no good reason. How long am I going to be stuck here? Imagine if Paul's attitude was like that. But it wasn't. You see, attitude is a game changer. Paul was the one who was going around incarcerating and even killing Christians. And now it's flipped. And instead of saying, this isn't fair, instead of having a bad attitude, he chose to have a good attitude. And you're going to see in the letters that he wrote while he's in prison how he actually spreads that good attitude. Okay, the third thing, just getting started, you'll go ahead and click that. Concentration is the key. You will have times in the coming weeks when you're going to struggle, when you could be here to worship God together with your brothers and sisters. You could. It's not like it's because you're on vacation or because you're sick There will be times when you struggle to come just because you're not feeling it. Let this stay in your head. That's not from God. You, You can't justify that. Too many times, people that I've been working on and working on and working on finally show up for church and I've watched it happen where the people I know, if these certain others were there they would have connected at least had a better chance of connecting but it happened to be one of those mornings where they just weren't feeling it and ministry did not happen the way it could have and when you come together to worship god it is not about you it's about god and there's no better way to please him than to be thinking of what makes him happy and what can positively impact other people by you being here? Last week you met some friends of mine. I did not draw attention to the guy in the yellow shirt that much, but Dale Mix, he's taller than most of the rest of us. And what he 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 has that down. On Sunday mornings in the church where they worship, he stands back and he watches for opportunities that others aren't taking. He looks for those that need encouragement and motivation. Can you imagine if we all did that? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that you know you could never come here to worship with your brothers and sisters and leave here not encouraged, not motivated, not loved? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We We just can't let people slip through our fingers. And the focus, the concentration is the key. Don't let the devil distract you. Like I said, I'm not done. I'm going to give you another Greek word. I told you about this one before. Hamartia. It means sin. And the literal translation is missing the mark. And I, I, I know I talked to you about that, but I want, to, I want to make it very clear. You have to actually aim for the target if you intend to hit it. If you don't aim for it, you're likely not going to hit it. And if I were to come up to you and ask you, spiritually speaking... What's your focus? And you struggle? Maybe you're not focused. I'll show you a picture. Do you know who this person is right here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know. Well, I picked an abstract one, so it was a trick question. This is Amber English. Does anybody know who that is? She's so a U.S. Army First Lieutenant on July 26th of this year. Last, that's this past week. She won her second gold medal, and she was the uh, skeet shooter, women's skeet shooting competition. That's pretty cool, pretty impressive. We should be proud for any of our gold medals. And if you're going to do that, you've got to practice, you've got to practice, you've got to practice, you've got to get used to aiming at the target and hitting it. And the more you practice, the better you get, and the more you keep doing it, the, the more skills you achieve. And she obviously practiced, 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 and she... It has done it twice now. And you don't hear much about it in the news because it has to do with guns. People are, well, it's just something you don't talk about. Let me show you a target up behind me. Just a target. You've seen like dartboard targets before. I want to show you crosshairs. Watch the crosshairs move on the screen behind me. Look at that. It's going right for the, oh. It's off the paper. This is what happens when you don't concentrate and you don't Focus. I want to also remind you that sometimes there's a moving target. (laughs) I mean, if you're skeet shooting, there's always a moving target. There is all you've got to pay attention to where the target is. I want you to think about a couple of things. When it comes to pleasing the Lord, that's not really a moving target. He he explains it to us, and he's ready and willing and wants us to serve him. But sometimes serving Him, now that is a moving target. Sometimes you, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you to see where the Lord wants you to do the ministry He's called you to do. And I hope you know that's what He's done. He did not call you just to save you and take you to heaven. He called you so that you can grab others and take them with you. You have a ministry. There are people that you can minister to that I would drive away from Christ if I tried. There's people that know you and they trust you. There's people you can reach that other people can't. And those targets are moving targets. So I hope you can use that analogy for both of those things. Now back to what I said before, just getting started. Life is full of ups and downs. Attitude is a game changer. Concentration is the key. I'd like you to consider, if you don't mind, asking yourself this question. On what am I focused? Because, see, that's where this all comes together. What is it that you are dwelling on? What is it that you spend a lot of energy and time on? Stephanie's dad is a preacher, and one time he was preaching in uh, the church. I was there with Stephanie, and he asked a question. He was talking about money and and your focus on money. And he said, you want to figure out who your God is? Open up your checkbook and see... And we don't do checkbooks like we used to do. So I opened up my checkbook right there with Stephanie, and I couldn't believe it. Walmart, 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 Walmart. I thought that just meant I was poor. <laughs> <laughs> but ask yourself seriously, what's the question The question: on what am I focused? What is it that I spend my energy on? What am I focused on now? What am I focused on When I get up in the morning, what am I focused on while I'm living my life for Christ? Because we're supposed to be focused on Him and all we do. So we're going through this series. Now you got the slide up behind me with all the words that we intended to have before. The hard time letters, practical life skills from Paul's prison epistles. We're saying August, that's today. We start August today through April. And the idea is there is hope. And I can tell you that my hope for us is that anyone that you bring into the middle of this series will feel, will sense there is hope in Jesus. You know what I hope? I hope they can sense and feel that in you because you're concentrating on sharing that. Can you imagine being in the church in Ephesus or being in the church in Philippi? or being in a church in Colossae, or being Philemon. Knowing that it is so unfair that Paul has been incarcerated, a man that we love and respect, know, we know he's an apostle. And yet, instead of appealing to us for something, inspired by God, he writes to us, trying to speak encouragement and speak motivation into us. I want to be like that, don't you? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for teaching us that no matter how hard the times may get, you're still available to us. And if we stay focused, we can get through it, and we can even speak encouragement and motivation into others. God, thank you so much for giving us these four letters from Paul that he wrote while he was in prison. I don't, I don't know how you do that, Lord, how you can think so far in advance that, that now we would need this. And you had this in the Bible all along, and it's, it's, it's a good time, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for preparing us. And Lord, help us so that we can concentrate on pleasing you and do just that. May you be blessed, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.